while you're turning there, this has nothing to do with the scripture, but I did want to recognize our fathers this morning on this Father's Day. Uh, what a blessing it is to have a church full of so many godly fathers. I think each and every one of us who grew up with a father who is faithful to the Lord can probably attest to what a blessing that is. Um, and, and as I stand here this morning, having the opportunity to work shoulder to shoulder with my own father, um, it, is, it is quite the experience. So I do want to recognize them and say thank you, fathers, um, for, for being the image of the Father of Christ to your families. So as we are in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 10. And we'll be reading down to chapter 3, verse 3. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his Spirit, for his Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit, and no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know these wonderful things God has freely given us. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the spirit, using the spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's spirit. It all sounds like foolish to them, and they can't understand it for those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. For who can, who can know the th Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world, or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger, and you still aren't ready. For you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? Let's pray. Lord, we come before you today in this church uh, with humble hearts, ready to learn from your scripture. Lord, we ask that you would be in this service today, that you would be in Pastor Doug's voice, Lord, and that your words would settle well on the hearts sitting here today. Lord, we pray for each and every church member uh, on online and in, in person here, Lord, that you would be with them and you would comfort them this week, Lord, for all the things that we are going through, each and every one. Lord, I ask you bring peace. Lord, I thank you for our fathers today on this Father's Day, and I thank you for the blessing that they are as they've been leaders and support for this church, Lord, and they've been leaders and support for their families. Lord, bless them today and bless their families. Lord, just uh, for this whole service, I ask that you would uh, apply it to our hearts and apply it to our minds that we may go uh, and grow from this, Lord, and learn from this. We ask and pray all these things in your name. Amen. So ministering with your father is an experience. <laughs> Among other things. <laughs> uh, 
question that comes to my mind is what kind of experience is it? <laughs> but I'll tell you, for, for my experience, it's a joy. And I appreciate that. At the close of the service today, both uh, we unfortunately were not able to have in-house church on Mother's Day. We've not forgotten you, as well as we are not going to forget our men of our church either. So ladies and men of the church, as you leave today, there will be some of the deaconesses who will have gifts for you. So make sure that you take them, and we appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you, Jim, for sharing with us. Um, I understand the streets of New York City. I've been there myself a few times sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and the uh, words that you got from different individuals. I've heard them before, but we're thankful for the ministry of the Gideons. And again, just to reiterate that there is a uh, basket out, out in the foyer to give monies to the Gideon administration and for their work in getting the scriptures out into the world. Thank you, Jim, for sharing with us. Many of us, I'm sure, have found ourselves in a predicament of trying to put something together that we have either bought for a present for someone or have received as a gift for ourselves. I used to work in a factory the early years of our marriage whereby every, well, periodically we would qualify for what was called a safety prize. If we could go so many days without an accident or an injury at work, then we were given a gift known as a safety prize. One year, I decided to get a, a grill. The grill came in a box, and outside on the box was written these wonderful words, instructions inside. The kind of individual that I am, thinking that putting this thing together would be easy, I just opened the box and dumped it out on the floor and began the task of putting together my very first barbecue griller. For those of you that are interested, it was yellow, three-legged, adjustable height on the screen, up and down, charcoal, all that good stuff. I got it all together. A few parts were left over on the floor. <laughs> but I thought it was finished, and so I set it up, and the thing leaned to the right. <laughs> and then I heard these words. Do you think you should have read <laughs> the instructions? I really believe that the Lord gives us wives like that just to keep us humble. Amen, brothers? 
instructions inside. The longer that I am along in ministry, I'm faced with a reality that sometimes comes along in a question. The question is something like this. How do you become or how do you grow in the ways of Jesus Christ? How does that happen? What's that supposed to look like? What are some gauges that we can attach our lives to to see if we are or are not growing in Jesus Christ? The Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 that the, the goal of every believer is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. The issue is, what does that look like? How do you get to that situation? How do we grow in Christ? This morning, and most likely we are not going to get through the whole lesson this morning, we'll, we'll attach it to next week, Lord willing. And banking on the rapture, I trust Jesus will come before then. But if not, we'll try to finish it up. And I want to share with you three things that I see from the instructions inside. Of how is it? How can we measure? our growth in Jesus Christ. Now, now before I give you those three, I, I want to make a very startling statement. You may not like it, you may not even understand it, but I will say it this way. Is that not every Christian is a disciple of Jesus Christ. And you can't be a disciple of Jesus Christ unless you are a Christian. The passage that Pastor Steve read this morning in 1 Corinthians 2, beginning at 10 all the way to chapter 3, beginning verse 3, gives us four life scenarios. We're not going to touch them today. We'll get to them, Lord willing, next week. But in that four lists, there is only one that highlights a disciple. And not everybody that trusts Jesus Christ as their Savior becomes a disciple of Jesus Christ. But you can't be a disciple of Jesus Christ unless you begin being saved by Jesus Christ. So what are we going to be talking about? We're all, these are the three things that we are going to pursue this week and next week. First of all, we're going to look at the process of becoming a disciple. A process. It, and it is a process. 
No one who comes into the family of God instantly becomes a disciple of Jesus Christ. You start off as a babe. You start off as someone who needs both the milk and the meat of the word. We're going to look at the process. Secondly, we're going to look at what is known as the movement. In other words, a gauge. A gauge of life. Moving. This one thing I know, according to the scriptures, is that as a believer person, you cannot be stagnant. There's no realm of, I don't know if this word exists or not, but there's no realm as stagnicity in the word of God. You are either moving forward or you're falling backward. You cannot remain the same. So we're going to look at what it means to have the movement or the movement in. Becoming a disciple. And lastly, we're going to look at the domain, the domain of discipleship. The process of discipleship, the movement in discipleship, and the domain of discipleship. All because the instructions are inside. We've begun, but we need to stop for a second. Oh, well, my children never say, I only pray for a second. But we need to pray. Father, your word is that precious that souls have died because of it. Your word is that powerful that it has changed individuals like Saul to become... Paul, a stumbling Peter who became a proclaimer of the truth. Individuals who were at the end of life's rope and yet they found life because of your word. And this morning, Lord, we come before you and ask you that by the power and the presence of your spirit, would you teach us today of what it is to be a disciple of yours. We want to move beyond the mediocrity We want to grab a hold of the glory that comes from your word. And so, oh God, would you open our eyes to see your word? Open our ears to hear your word. Open our hearts to trust your word and open our souls to be transformed by your word 
The instructions are inside. We may be put together by the wonderful grace, by faith, in Christ Jesus. But some of us may be leaning a little bit to the right. We don't have it all together. Teach us this day, O oh God, for your glory. For the days may very well be darkening, but the light shines the best. May we shine for you. And we'll praise you in the matchless name of Christ our Savior. Amen. When we talk about the process in the development of a becoming a disciple, it first begins because it is a spiritual development. Doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. It's a development of your spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ. I want you to turn quickly with me to Matthew chapter 10. I did not have Pastor Steve read this particular passage, but Matthew chapter 10 and verse 24 and 25. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And he's sharing with them a very specific truth that we even today need to understand. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, it says these things. A disciple is not above his teacher or a slave above his master. It is enough for a disciple to become like his teacher and a slave like his master. If they called the head of the house Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? Jesus is laying out for his disciples that becoming a disciple means You're becoming like your teacher. The word disciple is interesting. The verb word of the disciple literally means someone who learns, a learner. Now that doesn't mean the individual is just about gathering facts or interesting information. The learning process takes place In the individual's life as it's being changed. As it's becoming more like the master. In many larger situations when when messages or sermons or teaching moments are recorded. They create what is called a master. The master then is put into a machine that other machines listen to 
in order to reproduce what the master has to say. And those other machines are called doulasses, slaves. The slaves copy what's from the master. It's not the exact same as the master, but it's like the master. Jesus is saying to his disciples and to us this morning is that the process of development is becoming like the master. Let me give you a word that's, that's not very useful today. It's called doulos. We're slaves. I was awakened to a change in our vocabulary just last evening. And maybe you saw it. I don't know. But there was a quick article on Facebook which said now in the building realm, in the uh, real estate business, they can no longer call it a master bedroom or a master bathroom. It has to be referred to as the primary bedroom or primary bathroom. Jesus is the master, and he's, he is primary. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords, but he is the master. And I don't mind being his slave. Can I get an amen? I don't mind being a doulos, but I want to tell you something. It's taken years to get here. And that's what I want you to know concerning this particular process of development. It takes years. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not a quick fix. At the moment of salvation, when an individually, when an individual by grace through faith places their trust in Christ and Christ alone for their only hope of their sins to be paid for. The scripture says, whosoever believes will have eternal life. But that's only the beginning. It's a process. It's not instantaneous. It reminds me of a story of a of a farmer in the later days, earlier days, who he and his family didn't go to town much, but this one day his farmer took his family to town. They'd never seen a mall before, and so they were enthralled by the mall. The mother went off and began to look at the different stores in the mall. The, the father and took his son, and they went to a bank. And while they were there, they saw an elderly lady go into the room where 
safety deposit boxes are kept. And as soon as she entered that room, a young lady came walking out, beautiful. And the father turned to his son and said, boy, go get your mother. I don't know if that's appropriate on the Lord's day, but but what I'm telling you, dear people, is the process doesn't happen overnight. It's a road. It's a road of travel, it's a road of choice. Do you wish to become like the master? Or are you satisfied with just being saved? Discipleship takes time. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 38 or 28 to verse 30, Jesus then gives another picturesque picture of discipleship. He describes it as a yoke. For he says, come unto me, all ye that are burdened and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. But then he says, take my yoke upon you. And there you will find rest. For my yoke is, my burden is easy. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. In our time remaining, I only got through the first part of the process is this. In that Matthew 11 passage, Jesus is highlighting to us, or for us, two groups of people. One who is burdened and heavy laden. And the other who's carrying a yoke. In our area, we're used to seeing horses yoked together. I love it periodically when we go down Route 25, heading toward Millersburg. There's an Amish farmer down there. He's got like half a dozen of these beautiful, light tan workhorses. And when he's got them yoked together and they're pulling stuff, get out of the way. Those boys all know how to pull together. But in this illustration, there are four things I want to share with you. First of all is this. A yoke is for the purpose of control. It's for the purpose of an individual who is holding the reins to be able to control an animal that is much bigger and much stronger than they are. The question is, do you want Jesus to control your life? The second thing about a yoke is this. Is that when the yoke is put on the animals, they know it's time to work. There's work to be done. There's something that needs to be accomplished. And they lean into that yoke. 
for the purpose of finishing what the master wants done. And they don't stop until the master says, let's go home. The third thing about a yoke is this. It's used to train a younger animal. Usually they will put together with a much older, a much uh, more powerful animal, a younger one who has not yet been gotten into the situation. They belong to the same family. You'll never see a mule and an oxen yoked together. They don't like each other. But they'll usually put a young oxen with an older oxen, and the older oxen is teaching the younger oxen, this is how it goes. But what's interesting is the yoke is situated in such a way that the older oxen is pulling more weight than the younger one so that the younger one can learn what it is. But the last thing, the fourth thing about a yoke is this. Is that in order for a yoke to be applied, the animal's got to be willing to bow its head and allow it to be done. But in verse 28, the question is this. If you're burdened and heavy laden, Come unto me, I'll give you rest. 29 and 30 talk about in the midst of the work, you'll find rest. It's two different people. One has not yet succumbed to the yoke. In other words, that individual has not yet trusted Jesus Christ. I must stop and ask you a question and we'll finish with this, I promise. The question is this. If you were to stand before God and he was to ask you the question, what good reason should I allow you into my heaven? What would you say? The answer to that question, the instructions are inside. John writes it clearly when he says in 1 John 5, verse 11, 12, and 13. And this is the testimony, or this is the reality, or this is the promise, however you wish to translate it, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Verse 12, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. 
These things I've written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. And if God was to ask you the question, what good reason should I allow you into my heaven, what would you say? The answer is clear. Do you have the Son? Can we bow our heads in prayer, please? Father, by the power of your Spirit, you work amongst us. I can't. My words are nothing but your words are eternal. Our speaker this morning shared with us that 81 million scriptures put together in a paved road would go 147 miles. But just one of those scriptures can take someone all the way to glory. Your word is true. And I don't know where everyone's heart is here this morning. Maybe they're like that individual that Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that are burdened, heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. That's where it needs to begin. Lord, if there's someone here this morning who has never trusted you, who's never taken your word at his word, who's never believed that your payment on the cross was enough to pay for my sin, Lord, I pray that you'd save them today. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ and, and you want rest, just, just say this after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying for me. And I believe that what you did on the cross was enough to pay for my sin. I trust you now as my Savior. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm just going to ask you one more question, and it's this. If anyone here this morning, if that's the first time you've ever asked or prayed that to the Lord, would you just do me a favor? Would you just raise your hand and say, yes, Pastor Doug, I prayed that prayer this morning. Is there anyone here this morning? Thank you. Let me take your hand down. Lord, your word is powerful. And I, need, I would like to talk to that individual after the service, so please don't let them leave. Let them come, and we can take the word and show them how they can know that the decision they made gives them everlasting life. May you receive the glory. Lord, we only scratch the process. And I pray, O oh God, that your work would continue 
even after we sing the last song. And I'll be careful to praise you in your name. Amen.